at Airbnb, once we launched the program, it just started our journey on learning what our employees wanted, what they did, where did they need more support that we didn't anticipate. Nomadism was not really a thing in the corporate context um, because companies had offices and even if you work remotely a few days a week, you were tethered around a particular geography. So right away when people started wanting to cross borders in the corporate context, we realized that we had two choices. Hello, heroes of hybrid work. I'm Jenny Mobius and an SVP at Sketa, where I'm lucky I get to help organizations bring their hybrid workspaces to life every day. Part of that mission includes bringing you the latest data and insights from today's top voices, researchers, and business leaders so you can make the best decisions for your business. On today's pod, Q Hamarani, former global head of people at Airbnb and current chief people officer of Paper, takes us on Airbnb's journey to pioneering corporate nomadism through their Live and Work Anywhere program, navigating the legal complexities of cross-border movement for work, why remote first doesn't mean no in-person experiences, and why hybrid work is no longer a perk. Welcome. Thank you so much Thank for you. joining us today on Heroes of Hybrid Work. Been reading a lot about you and um, how you really kind of wrote the book on hybrid work at Airbnb. Uh, it is really fascinating to learn more about the uh, corporate nomadism or yeah. nomads, corporate nomads. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, what really struck me about it and Maybe we could start by actually talking a little bit about the program, but what really struck me was how closely aligned it was to Airbnb's mission mm -hmm. and how important it is to align the ways that we work to the actual company objectives and goals. So I'd love to learn a little bit about, more about the program and then how you thought about it when you did you know, think a bit in terms of company um, mission. Yeah, no, happy to share. And I think it's it's really interesting when you look at a lot of this in hindsight, right? Because it hindsight's always twenty twenty, but it's yeah. fascinating um, to to share a little bit on how this came about. Because that that was not the end result was not the grand plan when we started. Sure. So I'll I'll rewind a little bit to the the first half of the pandemic, which I'm referencing as summer of twenty twenty, um, which was when by that time. All of us around the world were a couple months or more into a pandemic of total shutdown. Um, it ended up for Airbnb, it ended up meaning that we went into a remote work environment overnight, like a lot of companies actually, sure. unless you were in essential work and you needed to kind of do your job um, in, in person, like healthcare, for example. And what we realized roughly in like July, August of 2020, which is a few months into the pandemic, that our employees really wanted to travel around the world. And when I say at this phase in the first half of the pandemic, they didn't want to travel to like go and necessarily travel in the sense of explore new places and hop around. What they wanted to do was they wanted to be more closely connected to loved ones, families, um, both in the spirit of, you know, obviously it was a very dark moment for humanity in terms yeah. of people not making it, which was very unfortunate. So people wanted to travel around the world either to be with loved ones um, or be where they were from um, because otherwise they were cooped up in, in a particular apartment. And in some countries around the world, you were not, there was, lit there was curfew. 
um, where they mandated where people were not allowed to go out as well, right? Some totally, some yeah. some some countries the weather was not where you could go for a two three hour walk like I could in San Francisco. So, anyways, so people wanted to move, and when people wanted to go around the world, they want the 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 tricky part was they wanted to cross borders, right? It's like I'm from a country in Europe, and I'm going to go back to be with my family, and I live in the U.S. Now, the minute you have cross-border movement for work, um, it is very complex from a compliance legal risk standpoint. And that is primarily because if we think of, you know, as you, uh, the word that I've coined that you reference called corporate nomadism, right? Nomadism is not a new concept. It's always been around um, pre-pandemic as well. But pre-pandemic, it's very, um, in, it's very much in relation to the gig workforce. Right. Nomadism was not really a thing in the corporate context um, because companies had offices. And even if you work remotely a few days a week, you were tethered around a particular geography. So right away, when people started wanting to cross borders in the corporate context, we realized that we had two choices. Uh, we could A, say we, you cannot do it, um, or three choices, I should say. One, you cannot do it, which a lot of companies took that stance because there was a lot of risk involved. B, we could say do it and we'll just turn a blind eye, which a lot of startups were able to do as well. But mind you, this is a point where Airbnb is still not public. We went public three months later. So we had to keep it in mind that we couldn't go too haywire um, right. in that regards. Or the third option, which is what we took, is we said this is painful, but we're going to figure it out for the sake of our employees uh, and making sure that they have the right experience and overall well-being in, in this context as well. So what we did was in August 2020, we incubated a program at Airbnb called the Digital Nomad Program that I helped incubate. And what that meant was we stood up a cross-functional team of in-house and external experts. And anyone that wanted to travel around the world, we said, open a request with us. We will look through all the complexities with you. Um, and that meant studying tax treaties between the two countries the individual wanted to go to, which changed for every individual, yeah. what their nationality was, what the privacy laws, what data access did they have, because if they access data in a different country, you're subject to different privacy regulations and such. And we said, we will we will let the individual know how long they can go for, what are their risks on their on themselves, mm -hmm. and we will be aware of what the risks are on the company, and we will push ourselves to the boundary where we will be compliant, but we will do as much as we can. And in most cases, I'm generalizing, but in a lot of cases, individuals were able to go up to almost six months uh, because a lot of the tax treaties have a 182 or 183 day limitation where you can be in a country and you don't have to be localized and you, you don't have to like do all the tax uh, liabilities internally. So we did that in August of 2020. And for 15 months after that, close to Jan of 2022, we just ran that program. And it was almost like I... I joke about it was like my on the job PhD, right? We were trying to figure out all these complexities. How do we scale? How do we learn? How do, how can we influence policy? What, what are the policy barriers at that point? Because regulations were not, they always move slow. And in this instance, they were on a pretty severe lag because yeah. no one expected this to happen overnight as well. Sure, sure. At the time we incubated it, it's a one year program. World will go back to normal in a year. Let's just do this in this interim phase to support our employees. And it slowly progressed with the world moving and, and where we realized we want to move with the world. And, and we, we saw a lot of this in our own data, like um, long short term or long term rentals on Airbnb, which is defined as stays of 28 days or longer, was our fastest growing category through the pandemic. 
Um, prior to the pandemic, people would go for a week. It was more vacation driven, right? You'd go for yeah. a week or two or yeah. you go for a weekend. Now people were staying months at a time. You had the monthly option on Airbnb. So we were trying to also influence the product. When yeah. someone goes to look for an Airbnb, can we have a filter that says remote friendly destinations? Because we know those destinations like Greece, Croatia, Malta, you, Bali, you can purchase a nomad visa and we can do that. Some countries dropped the whole nomad visa requirement too, like Colombia and Mexico. They said you can just go for a year and you don't need anything if you're a, if you're a citizen of like 15, 20 different countries, yeah. US so, included. So let me just uh, get yeah. it clear. So did the nomad visa exist before? Um, I, I believe it. I believe it existed for a very few countries. So maybe, okay. maybe one or two. I think uh, countries like Bali um, yeah. may have had it. But um, then, with um, with Airbnb's policy partnerships, it grew. It, it started growing. So I okay. think when I think at least as of like four or five months ago, um, there were at least thirty countries that were offering it. And growing, and you know, we we have two hundred countries in the world, so there's still a long way to go. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So you know, just opening up borders um is a lot harder from a from and you know the the interesting part was it's hard because it's so convoluted in the geopolitical landscape. There's like underpinning, you know, countries want want to allow stuff to happen. Um, so anyway, so that's yeah. that's how it basically and once it became part of our business model, that that's where the, when, and that magic moment clicked. That's when we internally at Airbnb said we are going to double down on this. We're going to stand up a whole center of excellence to base, and that's what I ended up leading in my last year and a half to build out this program, um, build out this kind of mix of like you know some marketing, some product, etc. And we will also help the world uh, or HR leaders. So I started going out and doing a lot of talks to help HR leaders understand that you can do this in a compliant way if you want. And if you do it, your employees who may be seeking it will be happy. Mm -hmm. You will be compliant. And hey, guess what? The unspoken thing is our hopefully our business would go up. Yeah. Right? Because yeah, we no. post them. So that's the, that's the a little longer. Um, it, no, it's, to how it came about. It's um, fascinating. It's really impressive. You know, you speak of having a fully remote culture um, and being productive and IPOing and, and, you know, having great success. I read in a, in a recent article that you were in that when you say remote world, you don't mean no in-person connection. Yep. And that actually struck me as something that people need to hear. A, yep. a little bit more. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so tell me a little bit about that and, and how that worked out for you, either at Airbnb or at um, Paper, correct, is where you are today. Yeah, yeah. So I'm at Paper today, which is a remote, uh, remote first company as well. And, you know, it's a really strong mission similar to Airbnb, but in its own unique way, which is to improve and reduce the inequality in education and learning through the public school systems in the, in the U.S., um, but yeah, to, to, to your point, I think it's not binary that you have to be 100% remote, which means you never meet or force people to come in three or four days in the office in kind of that hybrid context, which we're seeing a lot of organizations gravitate towards. And that's a whole nother topic on uh, or a whole nother kind of yeah. uh, debate there. But I think for me, um, remote really means how do you blend intentional in-person moments of connection so that you can have uh, an opportunity to strengthen those relationships. So I think one thing we learned was 
you can be very productive over Zoom, right? Like we're having this conversation. We could turn around a company. We could go IPO via Zoom. But if you want to really strengthen and build long-term relationships, you need that level of in-person connection. It could be once a year. It could be twice a year. It does not need to be every day is the point. It yeah. does not need to be every week. Um, but you need those. It's almost like our, our, our both our social uh, recharge barometer as well as our relationship barometer. You need to fill that up every now and then, and then you can deplete it in a remote world, be productive and fill it back up, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, yeah, and that's exactly that. what our, uh, our program was. Our live and work anywhere program at Airbnb, to my earlier point, the Nomad program became a focal point of it, but it had a few other dimensions to it, which is really important to note because one was we will have intentional moments of in-person gathering was part of it. Um, we will give employees the option to come into the office or work from home. So I could go in every day. I could be home every day. I know what works best for me. Maybe I have a few weeks where I have 10 kids running around the house because family is visiting and I just don't have the right environment. So I go in. We also uh, were one of the first tech companies to remove location-based pay. So what that meant was if you're within the country of employment, so if I'm in San Francisco like I am and I want to move to a, a lovely, beautiful farm in Iowa and work from there, my, my salary would not change. Yeah. We shifted to value-based pay. And I think this, so, so the, the remote work or, or the future or, or any workforce pro models at an organization needs to be all-encompassing. That's one of my big learnings through my career is one size fits all does not work in general life and it does not work in general workforce models because we are talking about almost the same thing. Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, you and me are doing this today. If you're in San Francisco or we're in the same city, we probably um, grab a coffee and get to know each other better. Like just like we do that with our own family or our own friends where we meet occasionally in person and we stay connected via WhatsApp or text messaging or whatever the messaging of uh, form of choice is, mm -hmm. this is no different. That's right. So you have to build a holistic program that's, that's all encompassing. And the goal there is that at least one component of the program will relate to everyone. All of them won't relate to everyone, but you're intentionally building for multiple personas. Onboarding someone into your business can sometimes feel like you're drowning them in rules. Don't share sensitive client information and don't talk to Greg before he's had his coffee. But what if rules were built into the flow of your workspace? The easiest rules to remember are the ones that happen automatically, the dude abides. That's what a rules engine allows you to do. As you add users to SketUp, you'll be able to assign them roles according to their access level. Different users will have different booking access to different spaces. You can get as specific as you'd like, setting the times that users can book, limiting it to certain spaces, creating minimum booking windows, and more. Stay secure while giving your users a seamless experience. SketUp, hybrid work, people first. I was asked to just reading this Gartner uh, report uh, that said 51% of knowledge workers are projected to work hybrid and 20% remote in the U.S. Gartner says hybrid is no longer just an employee perk, but an employee expectation. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's, I would say yes, I agree with that. And I would say I would go a little beyond and say like remote work is becoming employee expectations too, right? It may be for that 20% now, but you know, if we look at remote work adoption pre-pandemic to today, it's up like five or tenfold. Mm -hmm. So again, we we don't have to believe that yeah. for this trend to continue, every single person has to work remotely. But we do have to um, understand or believe 
that knowledge workers that no longer need to be tethered to an office will want the flexibility and yep. employees that don't give it um, my belief is over time once the macroeconomic conditions get a little better and such yeah. as well um, employees will eventually gravitate to what they want um, and you know we've not even unpacked the the fact that by having these hybrid policies you're limiting your talent pool to a particular geography right like opening up the talent pool has vast impacts both on your organization because now you're welcoming diversity of thought and representation but you're also doing good in the world you're spreading socio-economical um kind of wealth if you will and that could uh, you know obviously like everything there's two sides to the coin so there's the good and the bad so it's not always good but there is more good than bad is my belief on on yeah well we agree with you there uh so how do you manage remote and in-person employees and what's the best way to do that and how do you ensure equity between the two so I think the one of the best ways to do it is being very intentional about in-person gatherings. Specifically, what I mean by that is if teams are doing offsites or team are, teams are meeting, either have a process where you're being thoughtful um, about people meeting and what they plan to achieve. Yes, there's a level of social connection that's, you know, it does not need to be 100% work. It could be 90% work and 10% obviously are also going out and having meals and you're socially connecting. But in general, I think you need um, more of a streamlined process on when and why people are meeting. And this could this could stretch to, you know, depending on your size, it could be an all company meeting twice a year, um, which takes a lot of coordination and logistics and almost yeah. you're an event planner at that point. And obviously there's great companies that you can yeah. partner with for that too. Um, but you'd be intentional about that. And then I think overall there is no right frequency. I think the right frequency is more dependent on your business model, your culture, what you're trying to drive. For some, it could be once a month. For some, it could be once a quarter. I would say like at minimum once a year, if not twice a year or once a quarter is great. Yeah. Um, and it organically ends up happening, right? So I've been at paper, for example, for five months now. For the first four months, I was traveling every other week to meet um, my team, to go to our offices, to make sure I was able to onboard myself. So it ebbs and flows is kind of what mm -hmm. I'm going based on. It could be projects. It could be... Uh, transition points, onboarding. So I think you have to be intentional about what you're trying to achieve so you can make the best time of it. And honestly, in today's macroeconomic environment, you have to be fiscally responsible too. So that goes hand in hand a little bit with posing that thoughtfulness. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you mentioned that you were going in when you started. I think that is actually the most important time to meet in person yep. is when you're beginning a job or you have a direct report beginning a job and you need to manage yep. them and mentor them. I feel like that is the biggest battery charge if you're talking about yeah. charging. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think people talk about that enough as well. Like, yes, yep. it's, it's great to be remote, but those first moments in a company get you bought in they yep. you know get you connected to your manager do you do you agree with that yeah i think that's the initial charge right um yeah. i don't think it's like when you buy an iphone today i think they come fully charged the first time i don't think <laughs> that's that, right. that's unfortunately we haven't figured out a way to to, to infuse yeah. that you know right off the bat yeah. but yeah, yeah you're right i mean that's the initial charge and i think those are those are kind of moments where we need to double down on almost because we need to make sure they, those are done right because the damage in a remote world can be can be a lot um, it can be a lot more um, remote work is you know people sometimes think remote work is 
easy and you just let things happen and they work and it's 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 not hard but it's not easy either you because you need intentionality behind it yeah um, and this an expectation an expectation setting i've exactly. i've found more than ever you know having to go back to the basics and even junior employees who are just starting out and kind of went through the pandemic in college they yeah. need yeah. so many i guess lessons in the basics of responsiveness yeah. and working hours <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Do, do you find that as well yeah i think there's expectation settings and i think it's it's even more important because you know when we talk about multi-generational workforces right the the styles and ex, the styles and you know i read somewhere i think it was recently where gen z actually likes more in person than the previous generation yes. right yes. so yes. You, you, expectations are important to set a level playing field of the baseline that you expect across everyone because different generations have different styles of working which means they have different assumptions which if That's you right. don't set the expectations just lead to confusion and and yeah. unclarity yeah. across the board yeah, yeah. um we're close to time do you mind if we go over a couple minutes yeah that's just fine. Yeah. really yeah. enjoying yeah. the conversation yeah, totally, okay. Totally okay great so half an hour just doesn't cut it here basically when people come to these interviews i feel like they have something in mind that they want to share and sometimes i don't ask the right question to get that out like is there something about hybrid work um that you really have a strong um opinion on or sense on that you really want to get out there that potentially could be more unique than than others? yeah I, sure i i can share um i think one one viewpoint on workforce models um is it's frustrating sometimes to see that people are so opinionated on what they are doing is the only right and best way to operate in. And I think there is a level of copycat following here too, right? If one organization does three days a week and they have a good brand, that means it's the best thing and everyone just kind of blindly starts following and not everyone a, a good percentage. My, my biggest um, frustration when I read a lot of these headlines, and this applies to even folks that are doing remote work and are bashing the other side because they think remote work is the best thing, is really everyone needs to really understand what works best for their culture and what works best for their business model right like if you are in retail and you know you can't really do much and that's okay own it acknowledge it um so i think for me the the biggest thing is everyone needs to define what works best for them and they need to be really transparent and honest with why they're doing something and this could this could extend to you know, I'm, I'm an executive coach and I talk to a lot of founders regularly. And, you know, sometimes it's, it's my job to ask the tough question on, you know, I think founders or executives sometimes lean towards or gravitate towards let's do three days a week or four days a week because a brand is doing it only because they want to stay in their comfort zone. They want to stay in a space that they are used to operating in, which is if they see people, they, they, that there's that unconscious comfort that they're working. Step yeah. out of that and, and step out of that and ask yourselves, is this the right thing for the right business model? And what do your employees want? You may be in a smaller organization where employees are mostly Gen Z's and want to come in. So then have that right. program. You may be right. on the opposite where they don't want to come in and you're going to force them and guess what's going to happen? They're not going to listen. And then you're going to be faced with a very important question on do you start firing people for not coming in or do you, did you just make empty threats? So, so, so I think really coming back to build what's right for you, listen to your employees, try to meet them in the middle. And uh, also being honest, if you think, you know, seeing people is, is comfortable and a good way to work, then own that and, 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 you know, work with that. 
So yeah. I think for me, just making sure it's unique, it's customized to you like any other program um, and owning what you're comfortable with. Um, because sometimes I think the rationale is not explained um, well or it doesn't digest. Um, and then, you yeah. know, it's just confusion all around in terms of going back to your comment on setting expectations um, yeah. from the other side as well. That makes a lot of sense. Um, we have some employees who want to come to a desk that's all set up for them, right? We have mm -hmm. some that just need their laptop. We have some yep. that yep. want to come in for lunch. We have, right? Yep. And it's, and I think it is about building an intentional culture too, as you said. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I would just, I would just close with, you know, it's not a one and done thing. So continue to iterate, continue to understand what's working, what's not. Even we did this at Airbnb. Once we launched the program, it just started our journey on learning what our employees wanted, what they did, where did they need more support that we didn't anticipate. And we launched programs to help get them that support. Yeah. So it's an iteration towards greatness for lack of better words and, yeah. and continue learning and this applies to anything we do honestly but it's even more important in this situation as well um, is what I would wrap with on that. I, I agree I think uh, we're all figuring this out together. Just one quick last question so um, our producer here found um, that you're a short film and art fan <laughs> kind of found yeah. your IMDB <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what kind of things are you producing? What are you passionate about? Yeah, so I've, I've independent produced, uh, I've, I've executive produced a few independent films and I think it really comes down to me, it's, it's like a lot of things I do in my day to day is really um, supporting mission driven um, young artists that may not have the funds or the opportunity to complete a project. That's how I did my first one. Um, great group of, of, of artists that were stuck with funding. They were either not going to finish the project or finish it if they got funding. I helped them and from, from an executive production standpoint. And once they did that, they went on to win awards around the world. And now they're all great artists. So I, I typically try to give back um, in ways where I, I want to be creative, but I'm not an artist and I wish I could be, but this is my way of being engaged in that ecosystem. But it all comes down to um, really values um, and mission, which is supporting people in, and empowering them to be their best, be it as a chief people officer for an organization or an executive producer of an independent film. Um, I had also started a music label um, uh, 10 years ago, which was only for artists that were never signed with the label and wanted to get their names out there for a specific genre of music that was not very well known. So it really comes down to that. So that's my, uh, I try to, I try to dabble with making beats and stuff on the side too. I'm not great at it, but I do it for myself. Yeah. But this is a way for me to be connected and, and, and keep my creative spirit alive in some form or the other. So that's, yeah, that's a good find. Yeah, it's definitely out that. there. I love that. Yeah. Con yeah. Connor, are you listening? I mean, you may have a, a, an investor in your future. <laughs> um, well, Q, I can't tell you how much I appreciated this conversation. It's definitely, definitely one of the, the best. <laughs> how can people find you? That's yeah. the last one. Yeah, so the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn or on my website, which is um, you can get to my website in a couple of ways. It's my last name, hamirani.com or it's go live and work anywhere.com or it's corporate corporate nomadism.com. They all take you to my website. I have a contact form there and I check it every day and I will respond there or and LinkedIn is a great way to connect with me as well. So my website or LinkedIn. Excellent. All right. We will make sure that people know about that. 
Well, I think that does wrap us up. 